Welcome to the What's Your Ceiling podcast. We're your hosts, Monty Wyatt and Paul Szczynski. Wherever you are in life, there is a higher ceiling. This podcast is how you become aware of it and how to take action to push through it. I'm Monty Wyatt, best-selling author of Pulling Profits Out of a Hat and CEO of Adding Zeros Executive Development. I grew up on a family farm in Iowa and have gone from sowing corn to sowing seeds of success throughout the world, leading, managing, and training teams. With me is Paul Szczynski, entrepreneur and investor who also grew up on a family farm here in Iowa. We believe every organization and person can be intentional in how they lead, influence, and manage their lives and businesses. What's Your Ceiling is for professionals, managers, executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners who want to achieve more in their health, family, and business by breaking through their ceiling. Every episode will give you real-world, easy-to-implement solutions so that you can be more aware and take action to reach new heights. It's time to discover your ceiling. Welcome to the What's Your Ceiling podcast, where we talk about your health, your family, your business. I'm Monty Wyatt. Uh, Paul Szczynski. And we're going to have a great show today. Before uh, uh, we introduce our guest, I want to introduce our topic today. And our topic is leadership DNA. Paul, when you hear the phrase leadership DNA, what, what comes to mind? When I look at leadership DNA, it's either done two ways. Some people either grew up in it or some people build and become a leader. So I think there's two ways to look at the DNA. And I think all of us have it if you got the drive to want to learn and be coachable. I love it. Yeah, you you're, you're, you're right. It's, it's in us, but we have to pull it out of us. Yes. And it, it's already in there. We just have to find it. We have to look for it. We have to yeah. build it and maximize our strengths that we have. We all have strengths. And yeah. that's, that's the critical thing is we've got to pull the right strengths out and, when they're needed. So leadership DNA is what we're going to talk about. And before we ask our guest to give his viewpoint on leadership DNA, Paul, would you introduce our guest today? Yes, we are lucky today, achievers out there, to have a gentleman here that uh, definitely has it in his DNA. And he's a perfect example of scaling and building from zero. And he started out as... Uh, an Iowa guy from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. He uh, went to Iowa State University, uh, got his degree in, as an architect, uh, joined a firm in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, at the time was 24 employees. He's grown that with his team to over 220 employees. He is currently in, he's been in business in over 48 states, five countries, and is approaching 50 million in revenue. I'd like to introduce to you our guest today, Phil Hodgen. Well, Great to have you, Phil. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, actually. Yeah. I well, appreciate I'm, your time. Yeah. Yes. We're looking forward to hearing your story and how you started out. I know you started out at Iowa State University and went into your business. Could you tell us a little bit uh, what drove you to be an architect and where hmm. you're at today? My father was an electrical engineer, but did communications, worked for Collins Rockwell and um, a very, very heady engineering. I, I knew I couldn't do that uh, early on, but he, he left Collins Rockwell after 29 years. Uh, having been told to lay off a bunch of people in a bad economic time, he said, no, I'll lay myself off. Started a firm in our basement, which is where my bedroom was. Uh, so I got to watch my dad start a company from scratch for all the right reasons. And he ended up... Uh, uh, doing the 911 uh, communication databases and microphones and all that sort of thing and, uh, for 19 states back in the earliest days of, of uh, 911. So I got to watch that from the beginning. But I knew I couldn't be an engineer. I wasn't that smart. 
I could see things, but I, I didn't like the math part. Um, actually, when I look at my high school aptitude, I think it's kind of funny to tell you my three highest aptitudes were in this order, music, forestry, and writing. <laughs> so naturally, I became an architect, right? <laughs> no, but seriously, yeah. um, I mean, that is serious. I like to draw. I like to create. I like to um, uh, build. Uh, I was interested in construction. I have enough engineering DNA in me to to, to like the technical side. So uh, architecture was a curriculum that was appealing to me. And I, I majored in it from the very beginning and, and went all the way through and have never never looked back, never regretted it. So I haven't told you this story, but I was going through the Boy Scouting program. It was a big influence in my life. And I was working on my life uh, badge. And uh, I, I achieved that and then didn't go on to get my eagle, but I went and got my God and Country uh, pen. And part of that was to have a series of interviews with uh, with a religious leader. Uh, I chose the one at the church I attended with my parents. And he asked me the very question. He said, why do you want to go and be an architect? And I really didn't know the answer to that. But the answer I came up with that day is the one I'm still going to give you today. I was driven to make a difference. And I, I, I pledged that I wanted to always improve things. So when you, when you get a, a clean sheet of paper and you're working with a client and they want to build something, uh, it's my job to interpolate, to interpolate what they want, uh, look at the site, and, and make things better than they would have been. So uh, that's carried over into my leadership life and my nonprofit and my civic uh, contributions. And I still think today I would say I wanted to be an architect because I wanted to influence change and I wanted to improve things when I had a chance to touch them. That's wonderful. You know, it, it is about change and people and, and influence. You know, we, we talked about leadership DNA, what that means to us. What, what does leadership DNA mean to you as, as you think about all the things you've been involved with and the people that you've influenced? Hmm. Great question. Uh, probably a multi-tiered answer to that one. Um, I agree with the words that you used, Paul, when you, you, you said everybody has leadership skills. And I believe that's true, whether you're coaching a, a rec league uh, team for your kids or leading a company or a nonprofit. Um, not everybody wants to lead in the same way. And not in, it, it, when you look at Jim Collins, you know, and he chronicled all the CEOs and, and hardly any of them were the sword carrying, you know, uh, articulate uh, CEO types. They were behind the scenes, carefully monitoring and measuring and mixing. And I, I think that leadership is probably one of the most overused and misunderstood words in our in our I would uh, agree. vocabulary. I've seen it in uh, its best light and I've seen it in its worst. I think if you have to tell people you're their leader, you're not, <laughs> right? I have found myself in many situations where uh, just speaking my mind ended up landing me the leadership position, even though I wasn't sure that I wanted it. Uh, but I've re realized over my now almost 65 years that um, if you express passion, uh, people will follow. Uh, if you're honest and trustworthy, people will follow. Uh, if you make mistakes and own up to them, people will follow. Mm -hmm. I think people just want the truth. Uh, they want a good direction. They want to follow. I think uh, being a good leader means you've got good followership skills as well. Yeah. Uh, it's very dynamic. Um, I've worked for some really, really wonderful people that gave me huge influence, and um, I'm trying to replicate that and play it forward myself. That's uh, wonderful. Lessons learned. Yeah. I, I agree with what you said. It's, it's an overused term, and I view leadership as a behavior. It's not a role. <laughs> Management is. is a role. Leadership is a behavior, and too many people view it as, well, that's our, that's our leader there. Well, you're pointing to a manager, and it yes. may or may not be the leader you want to follow. Absolutely agree with that. I've got a story if you want to hear it. Please. Um, 
when you were at Iowa State in the late 70s, if you wanted to go and work in Des Moines, there were three architects you wanted to work for. Uh, Mark Engelbrecht, who ended up being the dean of the design college, had a great firm. Ken Bassard, who started the firm that uh, is now RDG Planning and Design, and Chick Herbert. Chick was uh, one of the best designers in the Midwest, mm. created a firm that was had won more design awards than all the central states regional firms put together. Unbelievable. Uh, he, he was he played basketball for Iowa State. He was a big man. He was and he spoke quietly. I went to work for that firm uh, after two years of, of uh, working for another firm, and uh, thought I was getting fired one day when he called me into his office. Phil, come here. I've got something for you. Oh, gee. <laughs> he he said he handed me a, a, a piece of paper with a phone number on it. He said, "There's a meeting down. Uh, I won't say the name of the college, uh, but there's a, there's a meeting. I need you to go and represent the firm for. It's next Tuesday. Call this guy and line it all up." I said, "Okay." Didn't have any idea what I was doing. I walked into that room. It was it was the board of trustees. They were ready to do a project. They were asking me questions as if I knew anything. Uh, I answered uh, eloquently, I guess, <laughs> enough that they said, all right, we're going to go. We're going to do this project. I go back to the office. Remember, I'm two years out of school, right? I walked in and, and I found Chick. And I said, Chick, that was a real job. And he said, well, I told you it was. I said, that was, they, they were looking to me to be the architect. And he said, I told you I wanted you to go and audit the firm. I said, well, what are your expectations for me? And he said, he leaned back in his chair and he goes, well, I expect you'll do this project as well as you think I would have. Let me know if you need any help. And that was it. That, to me, was an expression of leadership yeah. that I wanted to emulate. It's very hard to do. But he gave, he gave me you that, that confidence. He gave me that gift. I I walked out of there and I said, I will work 28 hours a day mm -hmm. to not let this man down. And uh, I, I call that I call that leadership. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell us a, a little bit about how you how you built your firm and how how you hmm. built the team to have that leadership DNA that you desired. Okay. Uh, long story short. Uh, RDG was created by two mid-sized firms. The firm in Des Moines, which was 24 people when I joined it, started by Ken Bassard and Bill Dykus. Nice, nice reputation, solid design, winning some awards, uh, very uh, business acumen was strong. They merged with a small firm in Omaha, 16 people. I, I joined the firm uh, knowing that this was going to happen. Uh, Ken recruited me from another firm. It's a holding corporation called RDG, Planning and Design, at the time Renaissance Design Group, which nobody understood. Uh, and that was designed to uh, merge and acquire other firms so that we would have, uh, if you will, subsidiaries. So that's the DNA of our uh, origin, uh, a, a, a holding corporation that had one employee that would own several firms that had autonomous hmm. right to run the firms that they owned uh, as they see fit, as long as it fit within the, the cultural DNA and the expectations of the corporation. That is the origin of RDG. And so uh, over the years, we've had eight different mergers, hmm. uh, all of them uh, very peaceful, friendly. Uh, we have uh, attracted firms that were very similar to our DNA or at least aspired to that. It was all about ownership and, and leadership transition. Uh, we wanted to bring people in uh, that were either, uh, you know, uh, as as passionate as us or had different skill sets. We we added discipline, so we went from being an architecture firm with one interior designer to having landscape architects, civil engineers. Uh, we have an art studio. We merged uh, the David Dahlquist uh, Clayworks into our firm about 18 years ago. 
uh, unbelievable uh, gift of, of creativity that David brought to, to, to the organization. Eight different mergers, uh, all of which had uh, names on the door. Uh, all of those uh, through our model have been uh, happily retired and transitioned uh, without us ever having to borrow a dime from the bank. So my job as the CEO was not probably as typical a, a CEO role uh, because I was a practicing architect like all the other folks were practicing design professionals. They, they were very, very strong leaders themselves. They owned their own firms. Uh, we had, you know, surrounded by people that were very gifted, very strong. Uh, my job was to keep them all talking, <laughs> <laughs> to, to find out what the issues might be that, that kept us apart, uh, uh, resolve them before they became big problems. Uh, a lot of what I did, nobody even knew I was doing at the time. Um, I was more a chaplain than a CEO, if you will, or mm -hmm. a counselor. I was still working 60-70% uh, utilized time for clients, you know, attracting and doing work. Uh, but my, my role as CEO was to keep everybody headed in the same direction, whether they wanted me to do that or not. You know, that's amazing. That's amazing. Phil, what, what I want to ask you, okay, you went around, uh, interviewed these companies, you had them join you. And also in the meantime, you're, you're hiring, you started, you know, what, 20 people went to 220 people. What is it are you looking for? What's in their DNA, that type of person that you think you can do business with and that type of person you can hire? What mm -hmm. are you looking for? You know, we probably actually have that written down on a piece of paper somewhere, but um, it, it, gets, it gets expressed on our website. We, we, we talk about eight lifestyles uh, that, that create our culture. So it is, it is honesty and eth ethical behavior. It is a passion for design. It is um, keeping track of your own health and wellness. It, you know, fun is one of our uh, eight lifestyles. We talk about those being the, the, the foundational, if you will, ingredient you know, that bakes our cake. In addition to that, we talk about, uh, you, you know, Simon Sinek's uh, golden, I mean, he wants you to identify what your why is and what your how mm -hmm. is and your what is. But you've got to have your why before before you have your how and your what. Uh, we've talked a lot about what our why is, uh, and it's meaning. So we don't wanna just merge a firm in that just cranks out anything. You know, the warehouses, garage additions, no. We wanna work for uh, people that are doing uh, meaningful educational environments, you know, corporate environments that, that change the way you live and work. Um, we do a lot of uh, uh, sports and recreation. We do a lot of religious work. We do a lot of uh, college, university, and healthcare work. So if you put all that under one umbrella, it, it all has to do with, uh, with the human uh, psyche and, and, and what we can do for our community. So we're looking for firms. When we're out there talking about who we might attract uh, next, we're looking for firms that are doing that same sort of thing. Yeah, with um, that passion. At, yeah. And now, Phil, you, you've obviously, nobody bats up you know, 100% all the time with hiring employees. But um, you do have like a test they take, I believe, at your firm. And that's probably the first level of, of hiring. They get through the process, and, and I don't know what percentage of success you have, but you also have failures. Sure. When you have that, what would you say, uh, you onboard, you invested a lot of money in that employee. Where do you see them sometimes not succeeding where they could have or they just didn't have it in, which gets back to the DNA? And so could you give me an example yeah. of that? Yes, but let's, let me first describe the test that you just uh, mentioned. It, it, there is no wrong answer to this test. It's actually the strength finders, personality trait, uh, leadership yep. characteristics. Uh, we have learned over a decade now to trust uh, what we've learned. Even when we're interviewing somebody, we say, would you be willing to do this? And it, it isn't to 
figure out what their psychology is. It's to figure out what their strengths are. And you mentioned that same mm -hmm. word when we when we opened the, the conversation. It, it identifies 35 strengths uh, and, and it ranks them in order. And our coaches have helped us understand how to use those so that we can effectively ask questions. Um, I would say that our failures, uh, and, and you're right, not too many, uh, have been when we ignored what those strength finder results told mm. us. We got somebody in the wrong slot. Um, you can't trick the test. I mean, uh, you are who you are, right. and it doesn't do a whole lot of good to focus on your bottom 10. You know, they coach us to focus on our top 10 and work with people. We, we actually had a, 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 an intranet app that we designed for ourselves that has all of us loaded and all the strength attributes loaded. And when we're building a team, if we notice that we've got way too many people on the strategic side and not enough implementers, uh, then we need we know, okay, we, we better rebalance that team because we, we might build a beautiful building in the wrong spot <laughs> or dig a hole. You know, it might be a beautiful hole, but it might be on the wrong site, right? So I, I would say if we've ever had too many uh, failures or, or disappointments, it's been when we ignored those. Uh, we, we, we put somebody in a slot that they didn't necessarily belong in. Uh, they might have thought that they wanted to. Uh, we we allow uh, we we ask people to declare a major if you will. I mean, when you're a healthcare architect or designer, you better know the codes. You better know how to do you know regulatory agency approvals and all that. Uh, it's very different than designing a church or a school. Uh, so we say, well, we, you know, if you want to, you can declare a major. And and somebody might have been working in that for a decade and might not realize that their strengths are actually in another area. We've had situations, and I have one. It was a it was a life changing for me. We all are trained to do it ourselves, right? And we all came from, all of us came from small firms. Mm. Well, now we're in a firm that has lots of resources on purpose, but we're all still trying to do the same thing we used to do. I can do spreadsheets, but I'm not very good at them, right? There's 50 people that sit around me that could do a better spreadsheet and analyze it faster than me, but I'll stay up Thursday night or come in on Saturday morning or whatever it takes. Uh, wrong, wrong answer, right? Uh, get somebody around you. Well. A lot of folks are still in the mindset of trying to do it all themselves. So uh, when we've when we've struggled, it's it's in that you know, making the right assignments, getting people matched up with the right teams, or even the the, the right project typologies. That's interesting because I think you said it. Any entrepreneur, anybody, they get in that mindset, and you got to break out of that mindset. Mm -hmm. I know Monty coaches people all the time. He sees it all the time. Yeah, <laughs> and it's unique because you've done it. You've been through it. And to grow to, to the level that you have as a CEO and take those leadership, you know, what would you tell a young entrepreneur out there today? I think you need, you know, it takes, I think it's a slow process of hiring, but a quick process of probably firing. Mm -hmm. and, and to be able to let those things go isn't always easy for an entrepreneur. It's control. Right. And then once you, you know, you get to different levels, you get to 5 million to 10 million. By the time you start passing 10 million, you better be changing your ways. You're going to collapse because they'll build and collapse. Yeah. And what would you say, what point did you see that? Uh, I would say that we started identifying that over a decade ago. Uh, and, and there's another layer to that, uh, Paul. I think generationally, Let's just say I'm a person of a certain age. <laughs> uh, we knew that we were going to be working 55 to 65 hours a week. That was expected. I knew that Ken Bessard, I would never beat him into the office. He, he got there at 4.30 in the morning, and he missed birthday parties. He missed his wedding anniversaries. He, he will tell you, 
that I built the firm, uh, but I didn't do a very good job on uh, on, on the social side because uh, he was 100% committed to growing the firm. God bless him. The millennials now, if you fast forward 40 years later, uh, and, and I, I know you can't really generalize, but, but I am just for a minute to make a point. Uh, we are recognizing that they have a much better balance formula in their minds than, than I did, certainly. They're not going to be willing to work 65 or 70 hours a week to sustain a firm. They're smarter than that. So what does that mean? You can't do it all. So what would I tell a young entrepreneur? Find people that are better than you and let them do what they're really, really good at. You know, that's, that's interesting. <clears throat> From what I've known you, Phil, you've always known you as a, not only as a great business guy, but you're also a great family man. You well, know, thank you. you're committed to your family. And I know you, you go to call, you never know. He might be in Florida. He might be in Dallas. He might be in Colorado <laughs> visiting uh, his kids and now grandkids yeah. he's starting to get. But uh, when you're younger, you don't, you fight that balance. And I've seen that in the last few years yourself. When was it when you decided you need to balance or were you always that balanced? I don't know. Uh, no, I've not always been that balanced. In fact, um, we had a really interesting conversation with my uh, my kids uh, a couple of years ago. And I said, I feel like I miss so much of your growing up years because we were really dedicating our time to our grandkids. You know, say, we're going to we're going to see them at least every two months minimum. I mean, they're not they don't live here. We have to go to it was Dallas. Now it's Denver. Yeah. I said, and I said, I feel like I missed so much of your life. And they all said, Dad, you coached every team we're ever on. You never missed a band concert. You went to every student. What are you talking about? And then I looked back on it. I said, well, yeah, um, I did it after you went to bed. I went back to work. You know, I stayed up late. I got up before you went to school. Uh, I was never very balanced. And I said yes to way too many things early on. Uh, there was a time when I was on 13 different boards and commissions. That was just ridiculous, ridiculous. Uh, that wasn't healthy. I apply that to the firm, you know, and now that we've grown to a place where we could rely on each other. And by the way, we've reorganized our firm now to that holding corporate uh, corporation model to a one enterprise model. Uh, we've taken away all the barriers, all the invisible and, and, you know, and, and organized ourselves in typology studios. So now the uh, communication piece is even more important, but we're all on the same page moving forward. So my role actually doesn't exist anymore in the firm. I'm really proud of that. I'm, I'm very happy with that. Uh, I designed myself out of a job in a way. Or we, we, I should say we, there's no I. I want to get back to answering your question. I would say the early learning that happened with the String Finder, there was a moment when uh, our coach, Lori Stowes is her name. I hope you don't mind me mentioning that she's, she's, she's a gifted coach. Um, she was listening to each one of our stories and one, uh, there was the strengths of one of my strongest partners uh, who leads a national market and is part of the reason why RDG is succeeding in 48 states. Uh, his number one strength is command. My last strength is command. So whenever any issue would occur in the firm, he would react a certain way that, that angered me. I would react in a certain way that frustrated him, but we never knew why. We just thought each one you know, uh, had ill intent or maybe we were just jerks, right? Never took time to really talk to each other. She made us sit like little uh, kids and look at each other in a room and say, do you like each other? Because the firm thinks you don't like each other. Well, yeah, we like each other. Do you respect each other? Yes. You know, and then she said, he's doing exactly what you're doing 180 degrees differently. His, he, he thinks his responsibility is to react, take charge, you know, give everybody marching orders and everything will be fine. You think that your job is to sit back, suspend judgment, 
uh, ask other people's opinions, create a plan, and then come back and implement it. He said, both of you are frustrating each other. And she helped <laughs> us. I'm, I'm condensing a two-hour meeting into 30 seconds here, but that was that was a gift. That and, and, and her identifying for each one of our strengths, she said, if we could get each one of you to just operate in 50% of your strengths or 50% of your week, imagine the power of that. Phil, never do another spreadsheet ever in your life, ever again. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to reinforce to our audience, the achiever, that you have to focus on your strengths. Yes. And you have to build them out and you have to find the right team members to complement those strengths. And it, it isn't a solo world. No. You, you, no. You've got to work as a team. You've got to work with others and you've got to complement each other with those strengths. So I think that's important. Yes, and recognize what the other person's strength is and let them, let them go for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is hard to do. I and mean, that's what frustrations between people a lot are because right. they don't understand each other's strengths well enough to adapt to them or to maximize them. Right. And that gets so, back to awareness too. Yeah. You know, the awareness of each person and, and, and uh, getting through the communications because you are a great communicator. And that's, oh, you know, you. that's, a I think, an asset that probably most leadership boards see you. And that's why you're on a lot of boards. But go ahead and finish. I didn't mean to. Well, I, you, you ask me what we look for. And sometimes they find us and then we go through an analysis. And sometimes it, we say, well, it just doesn't make sense to us. Uh, we look for passion. I, I think if you're leading a, a focus market, uh, if you're leading a discipline, if you're leading an office, you have to have passion. Mm -hmm. uh, if I look into somebody's eyes and I don't see a flicker of passion, I'm not interested. Absolutely. They might be gifted uh, and talented and, and very successful, but if we don't share a passion for moving things forward and influencing at a higher level and, and growing the right way, then uh, I, I lose interest pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. So you'd say passion over credentials. I don't think that we have any under-credentialed people in our industry. We, we are an industry that's blessed with a lot of smart, hardworking people. You don't get a degree in architecture unless you're, you've got something going right. on. We don't hire dumb people. Right, <laughs> They're right. in anybody. So, so that's kind of a given. Now, right. there are some that are much better than others, I, of course. But uh, that's really, I don't care if you've got uh, all A's or all B's or all C's. If you can stand and talk to me and articulate where you want to go and why, and why this is a good idea, and, and you've got a spark, yeah. to me that's much more important than getting an A on a calculus test. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Phil, you, you've talked a lot about your organization and your team and, mm. and how you've helped them. You, you've also been involved in a lot of civic organizations. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us about some of those and some of your, your biggest risk that you've taken, because you, you shared with <sighs> us earlier uh, a risk that you took in some of those civic organizations, and, and I'd love for you to tell our audience that story. Uh, I've got two stories that I think would be relevant to your question. Um, when you think about risk, uh, you don't necessarily always, in our industry, think about health, safety, and welfare, even though that's what our license requires. You don't think about your own personal safety. There aren't very many architects that die on the job. But I accepted uh, an invitation on behalf of our firm uh, through a relationship, uh, the opportunity to go to northern uh, Uganda and join Child Voice International uh, back in 2007, and they were just getting uh, started, uh, Conrad Mansinger uh, out of New Hampshire, but his brother Neil Mansinger, uh, a doctor with Mercy Hospital uh, here in Des Moines, uh, they had started Child Voice International, and they were their passion was to help assimilate uh, children who had been uh, ravaged by war in the villages in northern Uganda. I didn't know anything about the issue. I'd only heard about invisible children uh, through the media, which wasn't much at the time. 
and they said, would you like to help us design a sustainable village to assimilate these kids back into uh, a meaningful life? And I said, we all said, yeah. <laughs> and I was the one that said, I'll go. <laughs> what I learned there was uh, to this day hard to reconcile. But if you fast forward to uh, taking some risks, uh, and, and it was all pro bono, we didn't get uh, paid a dime, um, brought what I learned there back to the firm, uh, we created a master plan for them. Uh, we then took it uh, to Iowa State University and, and uh, Kevin Nordmeyer, who uh, was a partner in our firm at the time, uh, taught an interdisciplinary studio that the students researched, uh, you know, indigenous typology, building materials. How do you build in Northern Uganda with no power, no sewer, no water, um, and created now an assimilation village at mm. Child Voice International has gone into uh, Eastern Congo. They've gone into Southern Sudan. Uh, they're doing God's work. And um, when I think about the risk uh, that, that I took personally, I didn't even know I was. Right. Uh, and then our risk to do that much work pro bono, we've had some wonderful people in our firm step up and do much more than I ever did. Uh, that was not a calculated risk, but I think back on that, and I'm so glad that, that our firm supported me to do that. Another risk that is very different, and this is a lesson learned. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, one thing before you move yeah. on from your story. I, yeah. I think, could you give clarification? These people that you're helping in mm -hmm. Uganda, you're over there helping these people. Could you tell a little bit about the situation of those oh. people that are they're out there in the middle of nowhere yes. and without nothing right. and how they got there and real quick, because I think it's a good uh, cause. And I think the more people that know about it, right. the more My, support. My condensed version of the history of that story is that um, the Lord's Resistance Army uh, was ravaging northern Uganda at the time, uh, going through villages and uh, stealing young boys and young girls uh, and taking them into the jungle. Uh, the boys became uh, soldiers or they were killed. The women, unfortunately, bore children for the, the warlords. They're sex slaves. At the yes, uh, very desperate situation. When When some of these kids started to find their way back out of the jungle uh, for whatever reasons. They try to get back to their own villages uh, who would not accept them culturally. They'd been quote unquote damaged. Uh, so they had nowhere to go. They had no education, no family that would um, assimilate them back in. So they were desperately alone uh, and they needed help. So Child Voice International tried to, and, and is serving that role. Now, today they're, they're helping with uh, established trades and, and microeconomics. Uh, and I mean, it, it's, it's become a, a very successful enterprise, um, nonprofit. Uh, I, I respect them so much. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And That's I know you're, you're on a tight uh, limit here. I know we got about three or four minutes here, but yeah. go ahead. I, go ahead and finish what you were oh, well, telling me. I think this relates. Um, it reminded something you said earlier uh, made me think of this story. And it may have to do with one of our earlier conversations about you know, where, where have you failed and what did you learn from that? Um, I have told this story a couple times in, in leadership institute settings. Uh, in 1999, uh, I had gone through the Greater Des Moines Leadership Institute. Uh, and, and then I got asked to be on the board, which was a thrill for me. I didn't think that I would, but I, I, I got on. Lo and behold, they asked me to be the chair. <laughs> so I chaired it in two, 99, 2000. In those years, uh, we were uh, aggressively trying to build uh, the reputation and the offerings of the Greater Des Moines Leadership Institute. Uh, and we created all kinds of programs. Uh, almost all of them survived to today, including youth leadership programs and, and uh, community leadership. But um, we tried to, I, I thought everybody, you know, we, the Leadership Institute accepted 200, 250 applications a year, and we'd only put 45 folks through the class. 
And I and we all said, you know, that's not enough. Everybody that applied is uh, is qualified, really. So we tried to tried to double the class. We we said we will offer two classes in running in parallel, and it was all of all the volunteer board. We didn't have full time staff. It didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work as well as we wanted it to. Now some of the programs did, but in the end, we outran the capacity of our volunteer board hmm. substantially. So uh, my lesson learned there was to to. It's okay to have strategy. It's okay to, to, to put some new ideas on the table, uh, but it isn't okay to, to implement them until you've got a, a better plan put in place and you've got better buy off So that goes back to John Cotter's you know, lessons, you know, that sigmoid sign wave of leadership. You better get some early adopters, and then you better build on those early adopters before you launch the program or the initiative or whatever whatever leadership aspiration you have. You, you, you need those early adopters because you will not succeed if you don't have uh, a team. Wow. No, no leader. If you, <laughs> there's that old joke about the guy running through the woods. And what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm trying to catch up with my team. I'm their leader. I, I demand to know where they're going. <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> that is a great story. Yeah. You know, I, hey, Monty, another great, what a great uh, achiever, leader. Uh, definitely a leader who's got the right DNA. Absolutely. And, uh, I know uh, we need to wrap this up. We got to get moving on. But what I, I appreciate you coming today. And Monty always has one question he likes to ask everybody. Okay. So Monty, I don't know if you have any other. You know, uh, I. It's a question we ask every one of our guests. It's what do you want to be known for? Hmm. Wow. I want people to know that I made a difference. I, I heard somebody say the other day. I don't know who to attribute it to, but I've adopted it. They said the definition of success is when your kids grow up and they and they want to come and be with you and spend time with you. Yeah. And uh, I'm very proud of that. Um, so far, all of my adult kids seem to want to hang out with me, <laughs> and we have great conversations. And I'm and I'm watching them begin their careers and actually quite successful, and and and, and watching their leadership skills, all of them in different ways. Uh, and I'm 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 getting a thrill out of the fact that. I, I did. I mean, I'm, I'm no longer the CEO of RDG and, and uh, watching everybody lurch forward so quickly. And, and actually, they were before. I mean, I, my role's invisible, and, and I was proud of that. Nope, we didn't even, you didn't even know I was the CEO for 15 <laughs> no, years. Did we don't talk about that. And, that. and I didn't talk about that, but I'm um, so proud of uh, watching other people succeed. And, uh, and I want to be known as a person that helped. That's wonderful. Yeah. You know, this is something that I, I really appreciate because we know somebody, a lot of people talk it, but you've walked it. And I think, Monty, uh, you know, one thing about talking about leadership is, is, is talking about passion, talking about being honest. And then when you make a mistake, be honest about your mistake and live up to it. Uh, wellness and fun. Yeah. I mean, here's a gentleman, a pretty example that's lived it, done it. And, uh, you know, thank you. And, and I don't know if you have more to add to that. Yeah, maybe, I just but, want to reinforce to our, our listener, the achiever, you know, just a couple things. It, it is about team effort. Find people better than you and let them help you. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I think that was a great statement that was made. And, and you can't do it all yourself. And I think that's a, a big part of leadership behavior is letting others in and letting them help you. And so I really appreciate your time and appreciate your, your leadership DNA that you shared with us today. Well, it's an honor, honor to have been asked. Thank you very much. It's been fun. Yeah. Well, Phil, yeah. you... Yeah. We talked about health, family, and business, and the awareness factor. Yeah. I think Phil Hodgins probably scored a 
100 today. <laughs> well, thank um, you. I appreciate it. And remember out there, Achievers, give us thumbs up, subscribe. Absolutely. Thanks for so, joining us. We'll see you on the next show. Thank you for listening to What's Your Ceiling? We hope this episode has helped you transform the way you think, understand your awareness, has given you new ideas, and has provided you a new perspective on how to push through your ceiling. Please take in a second to give us a thumbs up. Each review helps us impact more people just like you making a difference in this world. See you next week on What's Your Ceiling?